0: What a good morning. I'll tell you what though, hard acts to follow. <laughs> Joan on, on communion, amazing message on communion, baby dedications, baptisms. It kind of feels like what I'm. Do I even need to be here? Do I need to speak? I think it all it all speaks for itself. You know, a changed life is is speaks louder than any words that I can say here this morning. You know, that's. That's what it's all about. So I think it's just so encouraging to see, um, see God moving. And I think it's just, you know, such a testimony to the faithfulness of Glenn and um, the Ewans and um, the crotties going among lawns and caring and loving on chess And you know, that's all. It's all fruit. It's just so good. Father, we just thank you that we can we can gather here as your family. To declare you, but to also declare that um, we're your family, we're your sons and daughters. Just thank you so much for that. Um, yeah, amen. If you've been or you haven't been here for, for the last few weeks or maybe a couple of months now, we've been looking at people of purpose, and there it is. <laughs> um, people of purpose are characters in the Bible that God's called and um, in various stages and in various ways to, to fulfil his purposes. And this morning I want to look at um, the story of Ruth. If you're familiar or if you're not familiar, it's the Old Testament. And, and Ruth, Ruth is kind of a, a short story. You can flick through the Bible and miss it so easily. And it straddles both from, a, from, both from a book point of view and from a historical point of view the times between Judges and the time of Kings. So Israel at this time when Ruth is written is. Um, in the time of the judges, so these people that were appointed to lead Israel, um, and just in, that, in this transition towards heading towards kings, which we'll find out a bit later. Um, and it happens during a, a pretty dark time in Israel's history. Um, you know, Israel, during the time of the judges, was quite a weak nation, uh, they were constantly going back and forth, chasing other gods, then coming back to God, and then chasing other gods, and you know, uniting with other nations and turning away from God. And so it's, it's, it is a real time of darkness. And, and, and when Ruth is written, um, we read in, read in verses 1 to 2, chapter 1. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. And a man of Bethlehem in Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife Naomi, and the names of his two sons were Marlon and Chilion. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem in Judah. They went into the country of Moab and remained there. And we might come back to that a bit later the fact that these guys were Ephrathites from Bethlehem. That's quite an important little detail. But, but there's famine in the land. So they leave the promised land, they leave um, this place where God's called his people to live because there's famine. And they leave the Promised Land, they head into the land of the Moabites, which is basically on the border of the Dead Sea um, to the east of of Israel. Um, It's kind of like, you know, like three, four years ago now, my wife and I, Sally, moved from South Australia to Victoria. We made the big move. Not really a famine in South Australia, but, you know, we we came into the land of Moab, you know, the enemies, enemy territory. (laughs) It was very much like that. We, you know, still can't get used to Lego versus Lego, and the fact that there's no fruit, tr- fruit trucks on the on the, uh, the supermarket shelves. <laughs> uh, the what's that? And the rain. And the rain. Yeah, that's that's that has taken a lot to get used to the weather. But for most of Israel's history, a bit like South Australia and Victoria, the, the Moabites were Israel's enemies. Um, Numbers 25 talks about um, God being angry with the Israelites Because uh, the Moabite daughters The daughters of Moab had enticed Their people away, the Israelites away To to worship and sacrifice To to their God Um, Judges 3 we also hear a story about God strengthening Eglon, the king of Moab To to actually rise up against Israel Again because he's displeased with Israelites Um, And the time when Ruth Is written um, Again Israel is quite a, a weak nation and Moab is oppressing Israel at this time in its history. So these, aren't, these are two nations that don't get along. These are enemies. And here we are seeing um, these people from Bethlehem moving into this enemy territory to live because there's famine. Um, and then something happens long after moving into, into uh, Moab. Verses 4 to 5 says so these... Um, uh, sorry, verses three to five. But Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died, and she was left with her two sons. And these took Moabite wives. The name of the one, one was Orpha Orpa, sorry, and the name of the other was Ruth. They lived there about ten years, and both Mylon and Chilion died, so that the woman was left without her two sons uh, and her husband. So, you know, they've, they've left the promised land into Moab, going away from Pharaoh, thinking that this is going to be a place we can prosper. And tragedy strikes. So dies, sons die. Naomi's a widow. Her two daughters-in-law are widows. It's pretty much as bad as it can get. Um, you know, I'm just reflecting on that as well. I've moved to Victoria. I've got girls. I'm, I'm really quite worried that someday they're going to marry Victorians. I just, that, I, as I was reading this, I came to that realization that. My family is probably going to marry into a Victorian family, which is um, quite depressing. <laughs> um, but these, these, these two women, Orpah and Ruth, are Moabites by birth. They are part of the enemy. They are foreigners. They're, they're, they're considered aliens to, to God's chosen people. That's how Israelites consider anyone that's not born a Jew. You're a Gentile. You're, you're a foreigner. And Joan shared beautifully in that this morning about where God's taken us. Um, and it's all about identity. You know, In this time, your bloodline is important. It's still important for us today, but bloodlines then. It's so important as a Jew to know that you could trace your history back to Abraham. I'm a Jew because I'm a son and I'm a daughter of Abraham. I'm a descendant of Abraham. That's my identity as a person. Um, where you were born... Um, who you were born to, where you lived, these were all important things, and they're important now. But I think our identity now is found in so many different ways. But maybe a little bit more, in, certainly in our culture, about things, about stuff. You know, the, the house I own, the car I drive, the job I have, these material things that are probably what more define us today than uh, certainly there are still racial um, lines that define us and and religious lines that dr- that define us, but. You know, in our culture, it's certainly, it's certainly what we have, what we do, what we own, um, is tied up in identity. You know, as a, as a young guy, I've got a bit of a confession to make, really. Um, as a young man, you know, owning a car is, is quite an important part of someone's identity. For, for a young guy, especially in Australia, at least that's, that's what I think. And I've never, never owned my own car the, fir- the first car I had was, well, we were always given cars as kids, but it was nothing. something I'd saved up and cherished and, and owned. My first car was a red Festiva three-door 1991 um, Ford Festiva that Sal owned, <laughs> and I just happened to drive. And ever since that, you know, we've been married and we've had cars, but I didn't have this. up. I lived in a small country town. You could walk everywhere. Um, and any money that I did get from the job that I had, I, I poured into NBA Jam at the local coffee lounge. <laughs> so I didn't have this. I didn't have this um, identity of of owning a car. And you talk to guys now that you know my age, and they say, "Oh, yeah, do you remember your first car?" It was yeah, it was this, one. yeah, uh, <laughs> I don't have that. So that's my confession. Um, yeah. <laughs> Thank you. So. We read so, so. They've moved to Bethlehem. Uh, sorry, they moved from Bethlehem to to Moab. They've married into the family, into families of Moabites, and um, Naomi's left now on her own with her two daughters-in-law. We read in verse six that she hears that. Sometimes she hears that famines ended in Israel, and so she decides to return. In verse six, she says, "Then she arose with her daughters-in-law to return to the country to, to return from the country of Moab." For she'd heard the, in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited his people and given them food. So she set out from the place where she was with her two daughters-in-law and he went on the way to return to the land of Judah. Um, but, Naomi said to, but Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, go, return each of you to your mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you um, as you have dealt with me. The Lord grant that you may find rest, each of you, in the house of her husband. Then she kissed them, and they lifted up their voices and wept. And then they, they sort of go and say, No, we don't want to leave you. Yes, no, we don't want to leave you. And, and Orpah ends, um, ends up leaving. Both, both daughters are giving an opportunity to leave, but only uh, Orpah only leaves. And, and, and Ruth stays, she clings to Naomi's legs. Um, and this is what she says in verse 8. Um, Where you die, I will die, and there will I be buried. May the Lord do so to me, and more also, if anything but death parts me from you. And when Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said, "No more." And I think this is a really important part. It's a, it's a famous verse out of you, out of Ruth. But I think the key thing for me is that you know, while Orpah goes back to her family and to her God's, Ruth chooses to stay with her, the mother-in-law. Um, you know, this is a widow. She chooses to follow a widow into a strange land with strange people and into enemy territory, basically. And I think this is a step of faith. This is, this is a step of faith on Ruth's, Ruth's part to actually say, no, I, I've seen something in Ruth. I've seen something in this God that Ruth serves. And I don't know what, what's in store for me. Um, I've got no husband. I've got no future. But I'm going to follow my mother-in-law. I'm going to leave my, my, my family. I'm going to leave my gods. I'm going to leave my, what, my familiarity, my safety, my and I'm going to, going to go into the land of Israel. And I think this is a real step of faith. Um, as they come into Bethlehem, they're greeted. And Naomi is, is actually asked to be called Mara, which means bitter, because she just believes that God's taken so much away from her. She says, don't call me Naomi. Call me Mara. Because she, she feels like she has nothing. Um, and when they get back to Bethlehem, um, it's the beginning of the barley harvest. The famine is really ended, and this is the first harvest um, of the season and, and so obviously being, being widows both of them really they had nothing to, they have no way of, of getting an income they've got no husbands, they've got no family and so what they do is uh, and, and um, Naomi's uh, I'm guessing too old to, to go out in their fields but what Ruth does is go out into the fields and gleans and this is a biblical principle at the time and, and Jewish custom Jewish law that a landowner who had crop would leave um, leave behind and allow the poor, and allow the, the, the stranger in the land to come and gather the leftovers, basically, or the, that hadn't been picked up and harvested by the workers. Uh, that was the principle. So, so Ruth goes out and starts gleaning in the fields. Um, that's the only way that she can get food. And um, uh, in Ruth 2 verse 3 it says this. So she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz. Who is was of the clan of Elimelech So she, she's reaping, uh, gleaning And she just happens to come across this field that is Boaz And Boaz is, is a man, he's, a, he's part of the family of Elimelech And when, when, when Boaz finds out about this um, he, he instructs Ruth not to glean anywhere but in his field He realises that Ruth is a relative through marriage And he instructs her in verses 4 to 8 He says this i find it so she came, and she continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. Then Boaz said to Ruth, "Now listen, my daughter. Do not go to glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women." And so he instructs her to just keep gleaning from 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 my field. Don't worry about going anywhere else. Keep gleaning from me. And and when Ruth asks Boaz, "Why, why, why are you showing me this kindness? I'm just a widow. What what's what's the deal?" He says in verse eleven. But Bowers answered her, All that you have done for your mother in law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me, and how you left your father and mother and your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. And so he recognizes the faith that Ruth has shown. And, and this passage sounds really familiar. It sounds like a verse from Matthew. Everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or lands for my name's sake will receive a hundredfold and will inherit internal life. There's this principle about stepping in faith, about leaving the safety and what is known into the unknown that Boaz picks up in this moment. And so Boaz protects and looks after Ruth, and he, he actually starts instructing his workers to leave extra bundles behind, and say, hey, just, just leave um, some more bundles of hay, uh, of bundles of hay, <laughs> 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 uh, bundles of barley for, for, for Ruth to gather. And when Ruth comes home um, after this time, she obviously comes home with this huge bundle of barley. And, and Naomi's like, what's going on? May, may God bless the, the man who you're, you're gleaning fields from. The generosity is amazing. And so Ruth starts to share about this man Boaz. And when, when, when Naomi hears about Boaz, she says, gosh, this guy is our family. He's our, he's our kinsman redeemer. What this means, kinsman redeemer, is, a, is, a, is something from the Old Testament that the Jewish... People would would understand, and the Hebrew word for kinsman actually means one who has the right to redeem. So that, there's this principle and custom at the time that if someone had to sell their land, they're living in poverty, they have no choice but to sell their land, and sometimes even sell their, themselves or sell their family into slavery in order to to make ends meet. the The nearest relative had the option to had the first option to purchase that land, and and even purchase um, or pay the price for, slave, for slavery, to bring them out of this. And, and basically to, to maintain and keep the land within the family. That's what the, kin, the role of the kinsman redeemer was, is to keep keep land in the family. Uh, and this idea of a redeemer is one who frees, frees them from the, the price they would have had to pay otherwise. So in chapter 3, Ruth, Ruth goes on the instruction of Naomi. She goes to Boaz and she asks for his redemption. And, and Boaz says, look, yeah, this is something I will do. He says in, in, in 11, chapter 3, verses 11 to 13, he says, And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask. For all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. And now it is true that I am a redeemer. Yet there is a redeemer nearer than I. He says, look, I'll, I'll definitely do this for you. I promise that I'll do it. But there's actually a nearer relative. So from, cust- from a custom point of view, I need to give this other guy um, a first, ch- first chance to redeem. And so Boaz provides this opportunity to the other relative. But he also he says to this, other, to this guy, if you buy the land, you also buy it from Ruth the Moabite. So this doesn't come with strings, no strings attached. This comes with strings attached. You, you buy the land, you get Ruth the Moabite. In chapter 4, I think it is, let me just double check that. Yeah, so chapter 4, he gives this guy this other chance. But this other, this other guy says, I can't redeem it for myself lest I impair my own inheritance. So he doesn't, when he hears that it comes with a Moabite woman, he's like, oh. I think there's two things happening here. One is like he doesn't want to be associated with a, with a Moabite. They're the enemy. He doesn't want to mix bloodlines. He, he doesn't want a Moabite with his Jewish family. And I think the other thing that's happening is he sort of, I think the custom at the time is if he has a child through Ruth, then her son would, would get the inheritance. And it's almost seen as though Marlon, who was Ruth's original husband, would inherit the land. So this guy almost pays for the land, but then loses it down the track. And he doesn't he does want bar of it. He passes on his right as kinsman and redeemer onto Boaz. And so Boaz redeems and marries Ruth. Um, in third, chapter 4, verse 13 to 17, it says this. So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. And he went in to her, and the Lord gave her conception, and she bore a son. Then the woman said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord, who has not left you this day without a redeemer. And may his name be renowned in Israel. She shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons, has given birth to him. Then Naomi took the child and laid him on her lap and became his nurse. The women of the neighbourhood gave him a name, saying, A son has been born to Naomi. They named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. Which which is incredible. Um, You know, and just a bit of a side note. Naomi, Naomi's called Naomi. She's not called Mara in that moment. She's not bitter anymore. She sees that God has provided. God has always provided. God has always had a plan. Um, and she realises that. And so I think it's really telling that she's not called Mara in this moment, but they're calling her Naomi. So you know, here we have this Moabite woman, this Ruth, who's an outsider, a widow. Um, she has nothing, no hope, no family. But through this redemption, this kinsman redemption, this redemption process, she's brought back into the family of Elimelech, um, back into inheritance or into inheritance. And she go, goes from having no hope um, to having a future. And she's, she's restored. She, her husband may have died, but she's now been restored and, and brought into the family. And, in fact, her, her son, um, Obed, is, is considered family, not just the, the, the son of a by woman, but actual family. Um, 1 Peter 2, 9-10 says about us. If, if this is starting to sound familiar to you, but you are a tro- chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvellous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And so we see that God's restored Ruth into this place and we see that God's purposes are fulfilled through this bringing of Ruth an outsider into the family of Boaz. And I, I mentioned at the very start that the fact that these Ephratah, these were people from Bethlehem. And Micah 5 two actually had a prophecy about, about Bethlehem. This is Bethlehem Ephratah. You might not be an important town in the nation of Judah, but out of you will come for me a ruler over Israel. His family line goes back to the early years of your nation. It goes all the way back to the days of long ago. And we read at the end of Ruth there that Boaz and Ruth have Obed. Obed has a son called Jesse. Jesse has a son called David. And we all know um, this is King David. This is the the king that starts it all. This is the king that starts the, the lineage to Jesus. We read in Matthew chapter 1, 1 to 1-8, um, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob. Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, and Judah the father of Perez, and Zerah by Tamar. And Perez the father of Hezron, Hezron the father of Ram, and Ram the father of Minadab, and Minadab the father of Nashon, Nashon the father of Salmon, and Salmon, the father of Boaz, by Rahab; and Boaz, the father of Obed, by Ruth; and Obed, the father of Jesse; Jesse, the father of David, the king. So there's this traceability right back to Ruth. This moment where that leads to Jesus. God has brought Ruth in uh, to achieve His purpose. Down the track, we see Jesus come through, and and and. Um, I don't know if you picked up in that, in that passage in Matthew, but there are actually three women mentioned, which is incredible. Genealogy is always about the men. So-and-so begat so-and-so begat so-and-so begat so-and-so, man, man, man. There's three women mentioned. Tamar, so she, she was a woman who tricked Jacob into, into getting her pregnant. Um, there is Rahab, the prostitute from Jericho, from the land of Canaan. Who is the, the mother of Boaz, mind-blowing. So Boaz is the son of Rahab, who is also an outsider. So this, and then and then Ruth, who we've talked about, a Moabite woman an enemy. So for some reason, well, I think I know the reason, the, the book of Matthew is written to a Jewish audience. They want to understand he's, he's talking about the lineage of Jesus, saying, This is the Messiah, he's born of the line of David. And by the way. You can see in this story that God's inserting moments that show that I'm a a God of grace. I'm a God that brings in the outside. I'm a God of the alien. This is not just about bloodlines and purity of bloodlines. This is about my grace extending to all. That's what this lineage and this genealogy genealogy shows. And so all along he has this plan, this perfect plan of bringing Ruth in, um, an outsider, to... um, to achieve his purpose and bring about his son, Jesus. Um, so that's Ruth. And, and the, the message for us is that we are redeemed. We have a kinsman redeemer, one who redeems. And our redemption, and I think Joan shared beautifully from Ephesians this morning, um, is exactly along these lines. We are redeemed through the blood of Jesus Christ. That's the price. He's our kinsman redeemer. This, this, the price is huge, the, the death and blood of Jesus, son of God. Hebrews 2.11 says, And Jesus who makes people holy and the people he makes holy belong to the same family, kinsmen. So Jesus is not ashamed to call them his brothers and sisters. Those children have bodies made out of flesh and blood. So Jesus became human like them in order to die for them. By doing this, he could break the power of the devil. The devil is the one who rules over the kingdom of death. Jesus could set people free who were afraid of death. All their lives they were held by, as slaves by that fear. So he had to be made like people, fully human in every way. Then he could serve God as a kind and faithful high priest. And then he could pay for the sins of the people. He could redeem people by dying for them. Ephesians 1.7, which June read from this morning, We have been set free because of what Christ has done. Because he bled and died, our sins have been forgiven. We have been set free because grace, God's grace is so rich. John 8.36, if the Son sets you free, then you are free indeed. There's no ifs, buts about it. You are free indeed, free to the fullest extent that you can imagine. Galatians four 5, I'm going to read a lot of verses. Galatians 4.5 says, but then the fullness of time come, had come. God sent forth his Son, born of woman born under the law, to redeem those who are under the law, under the law so that we might receive adoptions as, adoption as sons and daughters. And I, I just think I need, we need to that, allow that to sink in, that we've been adopted. Um, it's a bit of a, maybe adoption is a foreign concept to a lot of us. My wife Sally's um, a, 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 adopted. So journeying with her through that process, it's, it's powerful being adopted. Being a Moabite, bringing out, being an outsider and being brought in. So not only are we redeemed and brought back, but we are adopted. We've brought it, been brought into the family of God and we have this new identity. So identity is no longer tied up with what we have, what we do, what we, what we think, what we wear. Our identity is tied up solely in, in Jesus Christ and the family of God. Um, Ephesians 2.13 But now in Christ Jesus you who are once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. And this is the central verse I think for us as we sort of want to head into a bit of time of reflection. But Romans 8, 5, uh, Romans 8.15-16 says For you did not receive the spirit of slavery for, for to fall back into fear. But you have received the spirit of adoptions as sons and daughters by whom we cry Abba Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. So the, the story of Ruth and the story of People the Purpose is that God is a restorative God. God is a God who seeks to redeem and adopt so we can be brought into his family. So that we have a purpose. So that we have a purpose. Um, not a purpose that's bound up in again our identity, but our purpose that's that's bound up in the fact that our identity is, is in Jesus Christ alone. And we are entrusted with this message of reconciliation. One Corinthians five says that that we are ambassadors of Christ. So we've been brought in. We've been brought into the to the family of God. That 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 truth in itself should blow our minds. Um. It's what God's been doing since the time, since the very beginning, and the story of Ruth is about that. This redemption, Um, and it's a it's a it's a mirror for the redemption that we have received um, through Jesus um, to achieve God's purpose. So you know, if if you're on one hand, if you're thinking, "I'm not worthy to be called a son or daughter of God," that's that's not a truth. That's a lie. Because you've been bought by the blood of Jesus. It pays for everything. You're in the fam- you're, you're part of the family, and if you're thinking that, well, God can't use me. I'm, I'm a nobody. I, I, God can't use me. Again, that's that's a non truth. That's not true. We see that God uses Ruth, a Moabite woman, to achieve what He set out to achieve to bring about His lo- the line of David and the line of Jesus. God has always been, throughout history, about using people that. The world thinks are oh, not worth it, not good, too too afraid, too scared, hiding in a wine press. <laughs> um, but th- that's that's the God we serve. That's the family that we're in. So I want to I want to um want to head into now a bit of a time of just worship, but I want it to be a time of of reflection as well. Um, particularly Romans eight, I read it again. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father, Daddy. That's what Abba means. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. So that the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. So I want to use this time as we, we worship, sing, stand, heal, whatever you feel comfortable. Um, you don't have to sing. What I would encourage you to do is, Allow his spirit to bear witness to your spirit. So in, in the words, in, in, in whatever this, this next moment looks like for you, I'd encourage you just to listen to God. Listen to his spirit and what it is he's saying to you. Um, allow his spirit to bear witness to our spirit. Father, we just thank you so much for your redemptive power, your redemptive grace. Since the beginning of time you set about with your plan to restore humankind to you through your son Jesus, to be our kinsman redeemer, to bring us into your family so that we could be called your sons and daughters. That's an incredible fact. It's an incredible truth. As we just enter this this next time of just reflection and prayer and um, seeking you, Holy Spirit, we just ask that you be free to move, free to speak to our hearts. If there is fear, if there's doubt, if there's a sense that oh, I can't be a son or daughter, I can't do what God wants me to do, Father, would you be speaking to us powerfully? Would you be moving um, and showing us what it is you want us to be doing? Thank you.